don't be scared now, but it looks like you just wandered straight into you mind country. That's you mind, short for unaffiliated mind games, and you ain't never gonna be the same again. Brace yourself. It's time for red hot truth injection. Oh yeah! That's right, bitch. We're rounding up the sheeple and shaking them awake. You mind? Too damn bad. We're gonna set fire to the wool over your eyes. Feel the burn, baby. Hot damn. We're toppling the lies of the lamestream media one by one. Woo-wee. Watch them bad boys fall. Hey, Universe A. This is Universe B, Colin, and we're gonna tear you a new one. You mind? Okay, everybody. Hey, uh, thank you for joining us for our update episode. I know that we've uh, been away from the helm for a while, so to speak. And uh, I just wanted to kind of update you guys on what's going to be coming on Creeping Wave Radio and on the Mind in the future. Uh, and uh, just kind of whet your appetite just a little bit. And I'm joined here with uh, Weirdsley, who plays Old Scratch on the show. Do you want to say hi? Hello. Oh, isn't he precious? <laughs> okay, and so I did put it out to you guys. If any of you want, had uh, questions, concerns, statements that you wanted to make, that you wanted answered on this episode, uh, I said that I would definitely do that for you. So our first actually comes from Jack Thomas of the Just Conversation podcast. And he says... All I want you to know is that it's all gone to shit. The last cockroach that survived the Great Cockroach War turned on me after we fell in love. She used the clone technology at the Illuminati headquarters and cloned herself. Her and her twelve clones then stole some of the equipment, including the reptilian teleporters, and jumped onto Universe 2, completely closing off the doorway there. We suspect they're building an army with the reptilians to then reclaim their Mars, which we stole, and probably give Earth-1 to the roaches. Christy is going back in time to recruit the masked version of me right after he steals the plans for the time machine. But before he meets the cat gods, to tell him to go and get their help rather than plan their destruction. We might need help from the demons, and the portal in Christie's backyard seems to be tearing apart the space-time fabric. And we don't know what to do about that. That one's unrelated, though. Uh, it's just kind of a weird thing I felt that I should mention. Oh, very interesting, Jack. Uh, thank you for keeping us updated on what is going on in your life. It sounds like you are having a rough time this year man don't trust some cockroaches no don't trust the cockroaches that uh yeah that's uh good advice good sound advice we we have ample experience with cockroaches actually here so <laughs> but um yeah i um i really feel for you jack and i'd i'd really i i really hope that things work themselves out um, if you need anybody to negotiate with the demons, I might have somebody on the line for you. Uh, let me know. Okay, uh, so our next one comes from Aguas the Clown of TV69. Now, all the uh, people who've submitted questions, of course, their info is going to be in the description box if you'd like to get a hold of them or feel like they're an interesting person you'd like to connect with and 
I definitely recommend TV69. I, I actually do some voiceover on that show. So, Agus the Clown asks, What radio drama did you listen to that inspired you to work in that genre? Oftentimes, a program will come on the same time during the day, and it may be connected to some kind of ritual or chore. What's the context of your experience with radio drama? Well, I guess uh, the context of my experience is I, I started doing a radio show in college, and uh, basically I just uh, I would just play calypso music, and <laughs> it's because I was a really big fan of Beetlejuice and. And I wound up not playing that much Calypso music because I bought a whole bunch of Calypso CDs and uh, then I would I'd put mixes together and it all got kind of repetitive. Um, but as far as uh, like audio dramas and uh, things like that, I guess um, for me that was Night Vale. Welcome to Night Vale. And uh, my husband heard about it. Uh, that is weirdly. Uh, we're out of character right now, yeah. in case you're wondering. Yeah. <laughs> that's you, right? Yeah, that's yeah, me. That's you. Um, and he heard about it on, I think, NPR, was it? Or... Oh, I know you played it for me. I can't oh, oh, I played it for you. you. Okay. I thought that you found it, but I found it. So did. I found it. Oh, that's right. Okay, I found it through Robert Haig, who uh, is my best friend of, uh, God, since I was 25, and I'm turning 40 on March 11th, so, so for quite a while. Um, and... Uh, Coincidentally, we actually got to talking on a regular basis while I was doing the radio show because there'd be these huge stretches of downtime when you're just playing a set, and uh, I would just be on the phone with him. Uh, and it was very much uh, the the situation in the movie The Fog. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's, yes, uh, I'm old enough to remember that movie. <laughs> the original one. The original Fog, uh, where you have um, Adrian Barbeau who's on the phone with the uh, faceless man. Uh, who calls her station, and they just kind of converse with each other. That's pretty true to life. There's this huge stretch of downtime when you're playing a set, and uh, you're just kind of sitting there fiddling around. And you know, I mean, you're you're watching your dials, making sure that you don't have dead air or anything like that. But at the same time, it's it, it it's pretty boring. So, um, and uh, so I guess well, Robert had introduced me to Welcome to Night Vale, and we were talking about it on Twitter, and um, I was just really absorbed into the plot line, and I guess that's when I introduced you to it. Uh -huh. um, and I just love the surrealism and the horror and sci-fi elements of it all, um, and I also appreciated how simplistic it was for the most part. Uh, <laughs> For the most part, um, just revolving around Cecil Gershwin Palmer, who is the host of the show, uh, and other characters only kind of come in briefly just to add dimension. Um, and I really love the casting choices that they made as well. Uh, they had Mara Wilson, like from Matilda, uh, and she, she's other, done other things too, but just Matilda is by far and large my favorite of her roles, um, as the faceless old woman who lives in your house. And they have uh, Jackson Public, uh, who is uh, several voices and also one of the creators of The Venture Brothers, which is amazing. I actually did meet him in person one time, and uh, it was one moment when I met a celebrity that I was so starstruck and I didn't I didn't really believe that kind of stuff happened because I'd met celebrities before and I, I was just like oh so you're on that show that's pretty cool I guess but I'd never really met somebody who I just was invested in and uh, I absolutely just fangirled and just stared and was just mesmerized uh, by Jackson Public 
Uh, but he plays Hiram McDaniels, uh, the five-headed dragon who serves as the mayor of Nightville. And he, he does five voices, which was pretty phenomenal. Um, and I just loved... Um, I just love how the question, the characters, they don't ever question the absurdity of their situation. Uh, they've just adapted to life in Night Vale. And, uh, you, you like that series or yes. did you? No, yeah. it was good. It was good. It was good. Yeah. So as, as you may notice, Weirdsley is a man of few words, but then once you get him talking, he will not stop talking. <laughs> if I get a chance to. You absolutely, no, it's true. That, that's actually probably the thing that causes the most fights between us is because we're both like history geeks and we just really love history. And so we will get it. Like I remember driving home and being in tears because you did not let me discuss the old West history of San Diego and the Stingaree district when it's something that I know and I care so much about, but you talked over me and then it was your story. And it was, <laughs> I know that sounds like a joke, but that actually happened. <laughs> did it we not? get very passionate we, about what we know we and, do, we do. and especially expressing it to other people. But I just also want to say that, you know, a lot of our inspiration comes from the original radio shows. Mm -hmm. It's like the original War of the Worlds. Was yeah. that 1939, somewhere right around there? Mm -hmm. Orson Welles, I mean, that was a big favorite. And of course, you know, yeah. The Shadow. And, I love The Shadow. And, you know, and all the yeah. original radio dramas like that are, are, are very, you know, much influenced. And of course, there's a lot of the movies that we both enjoy, such as Beetlejuice and mm -hmm. The Mummy, the original Mummy, then The New Mummies, and, you know, Heavy Metal, both. Yeah. Both, you yeah. know, one and two. And those, those all play in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the second one's really just a love letter to Julie Strain, the model, the mm. tall goddess. But uh, it's it's a, it's an excellent piece. That, um, the original is classic. It, it is. It is. Uh, and has, has Mobius, who's one of my favorite artists in mm -hmm. the world. <laughs> I guess returning to um, sort of the audio drama format, uh, there's a radio show that you actually got for me. You downloaded it for me. I think there's only like seven surviving episodes of it. On, it's called Peter Laurie's Mystery in the Air, mm -hmm. and um, I am a huge Peter Laurie fan, um, and I, I guess my fascination with him actually come, came from <laughs> the fact that people used to tease me and say that I looked like him as a kid, um, and the truth is, like, I, I definitely see it. I, I absolutely see it. The, the big, bulgy eyes and the high forehead and the puffy lips and the kind of distinctive teeth. We, we actually have a question later about the teeth. Mm. <laughs> so you're taller. I, I am I am significantly taller than Peter Laurie was. But uh, yeah, so, and I, um, I don't think any of us when we were kids, I don't think any of us understood who Peter Laurie was, but his, his contract was with Warner Brothers, uh, at least initially. And um, his likeness uh, is used in a couple different Looney Tunes cartoons. And so uh, later on, when I discovered that this caricature, this weird creature, uh, was actually a real person, I, I just thought that was fantastic. And I just devoured every single film and uh, radio show that he was in. Uh, as far as films go, Mad Love is my absolute favorite. Uh, it is highly disturbing, and I can't recommend it enough. But the radio show, what I love about it, it's an ensemble cast, 
And the stories are, um, they're told in such a way that it really gets inside of your head. And that's good sound design um, because the, you can't see things. So you have to get people's imaginations working. You have to write your lines so that people are aware of the situation, aware of the surroundings, aware of what your characters are seeing. Because if you're just like, what's that? Oh, that's weird. Oh my, ah, then you don't really, <laughs> people are like, well, what just happened? I, I'm confused. So you have to, it's really just a skill in writing the script for people who can't actually take in that visual input. And uh, I really love uh, Mystery in the Air for what it does. Uh, I can't remember the name of my favorite episode. But it's it's the one, and you listen to it with me. Um, the the man who marries the he's a carnival worker, and he marries a blind woman, and uh, then they uh, like a tarot reader or a fortune teller comes in, and uh, he he takes this huge interest in uh, Peter Lorre's character. He follows him around. He's he loves the way he talks. He's like, oh, I love the way you say that. Say that again. Say that again. Ah, it just rolls off your tongue, doesn't it? And what a beautiful way of speaking you have. And so Peter Lorre is okay, that's cool that you're paying attention to me. Um, but then later he sees the man in his tent with his wife, who is blind, and uh, he is, he's perfectly imitating Peter Lorre's voice. And the wife can't tell the difference. And so this man is actually searching to replace Peter Lorre, to become Peter Lorre, what was great about it is because it's such a great parallel for doing radio drama or audio drama or podcasts is because your audience is in essence blind. And when you take on that character and when you give that character a voice, uh, everything you do, everything in the way that you say and the way that you behave and when you're speaking um, has to convey so much and, and you become that character for the people who are listening at home. Uh, and then when you become another character, because I, I do several voices on the show, Travis does several voices. We've got a couple different actors who do like two, three, four voices on the show, um, and they have to just become that character. And sometimes the voice isn't that drastically different. It's just the, the cadence of their speech or the way that they intonate things. It makes such a dramatic difference. Like your voice isn't hugely different than Scratch, but it's it's the way you slow your words down. and Yes. Yeah, you can become Scratch right now, <laughs> if you want, No, the, to give them an example. No, I just need to listen to the podcast. You're just listening. Okay, well. <laughs> so, okay, and then we have another question from August the Clown. Uh, and he says, I am reaching here, but what is it about your two front teeth? They transfix me. They are something beyond perfection. Did you wear braces? Inquiring minds want to know. Hey, well, I actually, yes, I did wear braces <laughs> when I was younger. Um, I have the same tooth shape uh, as my mom, who lost her teeth in an accident when she was uh, younger, when she was a child. I did go through quite a bit of dental work, and my, my orthodontist name was Dr. Yoshikani. I actually had to get my uh, cuspids removed for them to put my braces on because they were still baby teeth at the time and that was that was terrible it's like the episode of vampirina when she loses her fangs it's if, if you don't have nieces nephews or kids you probably don't watch vampirina but i just i it was it was so traumatic for me to lose my my canine teeth i hated it um but they grew back <laughs> longer than ever 
Um, but yes, uh, my two front teeth, and now everyone's going to look at them, are they're probably a good millimeter longer than the rest of my teeth. So it's, it's kind of an, an interesting thing. But yeah, I've got the same tooth shape as my mom, and she lost her teeth in an accident when she was a kid. Um, but they, they are unusual, I'd have to say, because uh, when she was getting fitted for partials, partial dentures recently, um, she kept having fights with the guy who was uh, creating her dentures. Um, I, I want to say dentist, but there's probably a name for that. <laughs> Um, so her denture designer, um, and they were just getting in these fights because uh, he kept telling her that he would fit her with a piece and be like, well, that's about where it should be. And she's like, no, my lips are puffing out. It looks crazy. And it, it's, this is not how my teeth ever looked. That's not what I look like. And he's like, well, you just, you're just not used to having proper teeth. And she's like, I've never looked like this. I don't want to look like this. Please listen to me. But they were too rounded in the front. I have very uh, flat teeth. Um, and I've heard the word uh, shovel teeth used before. Uh, and uh, shovel teeth is kind of when it's so, sort of flat in the front and curved in the back. Um, and uh, we have that because of my, my great grandma's influence, my great great grandma's influence, actually. <laughs> um, so we don't know what her heritage was exactly, but her mother was part of a tribal culture from Sonora, Mexico, and her father was a Spaniard. Uh, with the last name of Padilla, or Padilla, I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, back to the subject. Um, so my mom is trying to explain the shape of her teeth to the dentist, uh, and he said, no, that's impossible. Only Asians and Native Americans have that. And my mom looks like me. She's very fair-skinned. Um, a lot of Irish influence in there. Um, and he never considered that <laughs> mixed lineages exist. Um, so she's furious. She is fuming. And uh, she sits me down and she's like, open your mouth. <laughs> Hold your lips back. I need to get a picture of your teeth. And I was like, of, yeah. And so she takes a series of pictures of my teeth. And she used to be a, a dental assistant when she was younger. And she's taking all these pictures of my teeth. And I was like, okay. And she's like, the doctor doesn't believe me the way I'm supposed to look from my dentures. So I'm showing him what your mouth looks like, because that's what it's supposed to look like. And I was like, okay, if I can help, then that's absolutely fine with me. So apparently she took the pictures in and uh, he, he just looked at them and said, yeah, it's fine, but it doesn't look right. Just so you know. Like, Sorry, <laughs> I do apologize. But uh, she got fitted for her dentures, which now look like my teeth. By design. And uh, so anyway, um, I am happy that you appreciate them, uh, even if my mother's denture designer did not, because they, they do their job wonderfully. So, <laughs> Okay, uh, Sir Felix Ortega II, also known as the Jingle King. Um, you can check him out on Bandcamp at sirfelix.bandcamp.com. Uh, and I recommend that you do. I believe I'm actually following him there. Uh, under the name Mischief. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I better double check on that before I say that. <laughs> I, I'm following him on one of my accounts, I think so. Because uh, he actually, we, we sort of have the common ancestor of Gramerica. Oh, knocked over my water. Uh, which is a show that I, I do the artwork for. I do the episode artwork for. And he does a lot of jingles, a lot of music on that show. Um, he asks, What inspires you? these days. And uh, that is, <laughs> that's, uh, 
it's a hardy question. How about how about I push this one off to you first? Because I know that I'm gonna talk for hours, because I do. Um, what what inspires you when you're creating the character of Scratch? Well, I just wanted something a little different besides what, what you had described. Right. I just physically can't do it. Right. Um, so I guess what I did is I watched the Bram Stoker Dracula movie mm -hmm. and just kind of modeled it a little bit after that, except my Romanian accent is very pathetic, so I, I don't even try. He doesn't really do a Romanian accent. He just sort of mimics the, like, uh, cadence kind cadence of. and the breathiness. Yes. yes. And that kind of thing. Um so I guess that that kind of uh, brings us to inspirations. Um, my dreams, uh, and I, I know that sounds cliche. Um, my dreams are big catalysts for me. For um, you know, just uh, I guess the way I describe it is, I'm just too overwhelmed with the conscious world to give events the kind of scrutiny that they deserve. And so uh, when I dream, it allows me that type of introspection that I need to really explore and solidify my thoughts and come to terms with my experiences. Um, and there's a lot of things that have happened in my past that I'm only now able to come to terms with uh, by addressing them through stories, which is a lot of what um, Lost Bread was about. Um, and, uh, th this is kind of a continuation of the Lost Bread universe, uh, and, uh, it, uh, it takes on, uh, it, it takes on a life of its own, but it's, it's basically this, this storyline that I'm working with now, um, is a modified version, um, of a novel series that I was writing called Sewage in the Bloodline, and, and you remember me forcing you to edit huge chunks of that and help yes, me. Yes, you don't like any of my edits. <laughs> I don't. I didn't like any of your edits. I, 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 uh, you need to find, when you do that, just mm -hmm. some, some advice, get an editor, not a fellow writer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because the fellow writer will try to change your words and make it sound like them, because they're like, oh, it sounds so much better if you said this, and it's like, no, I hate that word, don't. Um, actually, the editor that we did wind up going with, the one that we hired out, um, I use um, Canadian spellings for all my words, Canadian British spellings, um, and she changed it to uh, American spellings, even though all the characters were British or Canadian. And I was like, "Why did you do that? I didn't tell you to." Well, it makes it more marketable. I was like, uh, "Not in Canada or England, <laughs> uh, or the UK in general." And um, she she just was so certain that that was the correct way to do it that it was it had to be and that really was frustrating to me. But getting off on a tangent, um, so dreams um, are are really that 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 whole novel uh, was just based on vivid dreams that I've been having my entire life that just sort of compound upon each other. And I queried it with literary agents and publishers. Uh, and they all wrote me very, my, I saved my rejection letters and they're all very nice and they all really like it, but they're like, I don't really know how we're going to market something like this. Um, one of the, the, I submit to a publishing house in England. I'm trying to remember the name. Um, the guy who wrote me back was named Tony, but I don't remember his last name. And he said, have you considered making it a young adult book? And at the time, uh, my young self was just like absolutely not this is serious literature 
this is not a young adult piece, but um, I, I do think that's actually good advice, though, and I have geared it down. Like, said it, it uh, the original story was uh, very dark, very heavy-handed in its approach, and very Victorian. And I, uh, I do think it was actually good advice, so I kind of moved the timeline up to modern day, uh, and I, I made the characters speak as if they were a lot younger, a lot, a lot more modern. Because I feel like uh, the, the main issue that sort of threads through the, the whole series, Lost Bread, Creeping Wave, even the U-Mind, that the whole thing that threads through it is kind of um, that being an outsider, uh, but accepting yourself as an outsider and not really, not really being unhappy or ashamed of being an outsider, just accepting that that, that is what you are and it's okay. <laughs> and I think that when you're young, when you're a teenager, uh, you need those kind of stories because that, that's the time in your life where you just don't feel like you can really be understood by anybody. So I do think it was good advice. And the thing with young adult stories, like say Harry Potter or something, they, they're not only enjoyable to young adults. They, they're also enjoyable to older people, right? Certainly. There's a lot of people who have uh, given me very astute socio and political breakdowns of characters and representations, uh, what different species and groups that we've seen thus far uh, represent. And I really invite that because I love seeing the direction that people's minds sort of go through uh, when they are uh, listening to this, when they're getting involved in the story. Um, however, I'm a big believer that the author is dead. Uh, and that philosophy basically states that once you put it out there, um, you don't have any control over how the reader, or in this case, listener, is going to interpret your work. And so that being the case, I really don't confirm or deny anybody's read. I mean, hopefully your work is written in a way that it, it does appeal to a wide variety of, of different viewpoints. Mm -hmm. you know, And then it can be interpreted different ways, because I mean, that's part of the artistic experience, mm -hmm. is you read something, it's in your mind. You know, and you get to get whatever you get from it. You know, poetry is, is very much the same way. You, mm -hmm. know, you, you ask two different people what a poem means to them, and you'll probably get two separate answers. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the, the more interesting aspects of creating something like this. You really just have this full scope of different experiences. And there's, there's people who hate it, and it's not for them, and that's fine. Uh, and then there's people who, who get a totally different message from what you were ever thinking. Uh, and and to them it's very real and and that metaphor that they've broken it down into makes perfect sense to them and You're just like hey cool. I mean if if you see that in it. I More power to you. I I'm a big believer that it, it becomes the property of other people once it's out there um, I mean not financially that would not be great <laughs> Well, we're, we're not really making any money off of uh, the Umind as of yet. Um, I'd really like to uh, open up like a GoFundMe at some point, at least for Creeping Wave, uh, to try and give back. But right now I have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash lucidnap. Um, and I, I, I have about three supporters right now, which uh, and they're amazing. The Gramerica Show, Nikki Benfield, and Neil. Hey guys, thank you so much for your support. And uh, I'm just trying to come together with a game plan for if I did open something like a GoFundMe or a secondary account, like uh, in addition to that, what what would be the the perks, the bonuses, what would get people to actually want to <laughs> sign on for something like that? 
Um, we don't have any sponsorships or anything. Uh, we're, we're not really opposed to it. Uh, I do like the value for value model, except that uh, it doesn't doesn't always work out when you have an ensemble cast. So it's asking everybody to come together on their, their free time and just volunteer. Uh, it's really asking a lot of people, and we're so grateful to everybody who, all the musicians and all the talent who have been willing to do that for us. It's amazing. And we met so many amazing people um, just by, you know, going to shows or um, going to Comic Fest and that kind of thing. Just so, so many talented people are just out there and willing to help you out if you ask, you know. And uh, that, that's been one of the really surprising and delightful kind of things that I found in uh, taking on this project. Yeah. <laughs> um... So I guess what what inspires me it's 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 hard to say. I think um history, dreams, um music, like diff different musical pieces, um the the big anthem of um last the last season. And this is this is not the when we start up again it's really going to be uh season 3.2 because it's it's still really season three. It's still really the same storyline. Um, but uh, sort of the, the character of Dorcas Morlock, uh, who came in there, um, so much of the way that she was written into the script was based off of a song that the uh, actress who plays Dorcas Morlock, Anna Zanova, um, she uh, is the front woman for a band called Pink Eye, uh, who does amazing just really genre bending uh beautiful music uh and there's this song called unkind and uh it kind of became the dorcas morlock anthem uh for that uh, show dorcas morlock is a another thing that was inspired by uh, my friend robert again hi robert the same guy who called me at the radio station so Dorcas Morlock was a real woman. She lived, uh, I, I believe that the yearbook is from 1930 or 1931, um, and he found it in a thrift store. And uh, he picked it up and he just saw this name and he was like, Dorcas Morlock? Oh my gosh, what a name. And he's looking through it and she's a very interesting person. She was um, an oil painter, a singer, uh, heavily involved in dramatics. She was heavily involved in sports. Um, she actually, and this is weird to think about, that she's one of the first female cheerleaders at her school. Um, and, uh, now we're like, well, aren't cheerleaders female? It's like, it, it's almost the opposite. But before then, no, uh, cheerleaders were men. They're, they were male cheer, male cheerleaders. And she was one of the first female cheerleaders to come in there. And she just seems like this really spunky spirited woman. And so he was trying to kind of look up. Like, uh, you know, I wonder what happened to this woman afterwards. Um, and she, uh, she is deceased. I believe she died in 2000, 2007 or no, 2005. And, um, she was 92. Uh, she was unmarried and she survived by many nieces and nephews. But, uh, on her find a grave site, uh, if you look it up, um, all the pictures are actually provided from that yearbook by uh, Robert and uh, flowers that were sent to the grave from the Illinois Flower Company, which actually uh, Robert sent to her. So she became this, this kind of person that he had just a lot of admiration for, and uh, he'd never met her, but she was just, just because her name was so fascinating. It's actually Dorcas Electra Morlock, 
Uh, and so the woman in this story, Dorcas Morlock, is named in her honor, but it's it's not her. Um, it's a it's a different character, obviously. Um, and uh, we we just kind of wanted to honor this person who we thought was really interesting. And and there's some artwork that you can find on there of uh, Robert had always wanted to write a piece uh, using her as kind of a prompt, and I wanted to write a comic book um, that would feature us kind of traveling through time and that kind of thing. And and that sort of uh, she evolved into the storyline as kind of a birthday gift for Robert. So, and that was that was kind of a, a fun thing. So I've got to finish finish out Dorcas's storyline so that uh, Robert's dream can be realized. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of fun. I'm I'm trying. I'm looking down my list here. Of I wrote a whole bunch of different things that are uh, influences, and um, yeah, some of them are are straight up weird, and um, yeah. Uh, some of them are super personal, um, like uh, goodness. <laughs> the the first draft um, is actually a character uh, from my original series, and if you check my Instagram, you'll see that I I post artwork that I made for my original series, uh, my my novel series. Um, and I, I drew a ton of pictures for it. I drew a lot of illustrations of what the characters look like in my mind. And, uh, the first draft was a character from that, uh, named Marco A. Shatter, uh, who still is named that. We just haven't introduced them yet. So there's a little spoiler for you guys. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. And so, uh, that, that character, uh, is actually based on, um, just a period in my life when I was just having these really bizarre dreams and just seeing this kind of weird alienized version of myself speaking to myself and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, I have like five scripts written and I haven't sent them to the actors yet because I really, what I want to do is I, it's, it's difficult taking something from outline and giving it dialogue and really fleshing it out. Um, because I'm basically uh, rewriting old stories that I have, old outlines that I have in a format that will work, uh, and so things are sometimes changed. Uh, and because of that, um, my fear is that I have like four episodes recorded, and then I realize I've written myself into a corner, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> and uh, so I, I'm trying to finish out right the entirety of the season, finish it out, and then uh, send it off to the actors. And then it works both ways because then they only have to come in once when I record their voices. They don't have to come in two and three times. Um, and I, we can just do everything in one lump. I can just highlight everything for them. So uh, that's that's a good thing. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I think you have a lot of the old movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know that that you that you watched when you were younger. Yeah, just got a lot of uh, inspiration from because you thought they were beautiful or yeah. interesting, scary or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess we we could talk about some of those movies. Yeah. <laughs> How much time do we have? I I don't know. I, that's what I'm worried about is that I'm I'm over talking. But I uh -huh. guess you guys tuned in because you want to hear about this kind of thing and where it's going. Um, one of the questions I get a lot. Uh, nobody asked it yet. Um, one of the questions that I do get a lot though is uh, is Napoleon a male or a female? And um, the, the answer is 
what do you think they are? <laughs> um, I, I kind of write it ambiguously. There's some people who call Napoleon she and some people who call Napoleon he. Um, and that's not uh, any kind of a, a gender studies Tumblr kind of thing. That is, uh, it's, it actually comes from um, a, a couple different classical influences. There is a, a film uh, that I was really kind of obsessed with called Orlando with Tilda Swinton. At 16 or 17, 17 is when I first started dating, um, and, and I became painfully aware of the expectations uh, put upon a person my age uh, to date. And while I had strong affections for people and a desire for closeness, I couldn't really wrap my head around the requirements of being in a relationship or physical intimacy. Uh, and, and I just felt like um, all these weird expectations There's uh, people had, and there's these rules that everyone innately knew. And so that's when I had discovered Orlando, which is based off Virginia Woolf's novel. And Orlando is about a nobleman from the 1500s who finds himself made immortal uh, by Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> Um, he falls into long bouts of torpor and he wakes up in a different era and he's just like, ah, let's see what's going on now. And just kind of bops about. And, uh, then after one of his, uh, long sleeps, one of his little sleep spells, he wakes up and finds that he's become a woman. And now he has to deal with all sorts of new demands placed upon his, uh, adopted sex. Well, that probably all sounds horribly pretentious in women's studies and all that kind of thing. Um, for me, I had never really uh, encountered something that addressed that feeling of like, why does everyone think that I need to do this? <laughs> why, why is everyone expecting me to behave this way? And, um, it, and it placed it in the context of like gender roles and that kind of thing. And I, I thought that was, that's really when the story started of Napoleon started blossoming into what it eventually became. There's another movie called Farinelli. Um, it's in Italian, so <laughs> um, if, if, you're, if you speak Italian or you're cool with reading subtitles, but um, it's the fictionalized story of the castrato Carlo Brocci, um, and he was illegally castrated, uh, by the way. Um, he was basically sent uh, to live with his tutor, and uh, he, they were doing horse riding lessons, and uh, I, I don't know how many of you have ridden a horse and have testicles, but one of the things that happens is inevitably, when you're first learning, you will sit upon said testicles and you will say, ouch. And so he did that. And they took him inside and they said, oh, no, oh, terrible. They're going to have to come off. <laughs> Why did they do, they do this? They did this because he had a beautiful singing voice, just this beautiful, high, just angelic singing voice. And... Um, <laughs> This poor kid. They wanted to preserve that singing voice forever because they were terrified that once he hit puberty, it would it would just deepen and it would be corrupted and it wouldn't be beautiful anymore. So they castrated him um, under false pretenses. Um, and the great irony of this is it made him into a sex symbol. Um, <laughs> and so that uh, weird uh, displacement uh, kind of theme came through that. And then there's... Um, Seraphita. I, I'm going to sound so pretentious talking about this one, so I'll try to keep it short. Seraphita is a uh, novel by Honoré de Balzac. After just talking about what we did, it's such an apropos name, but that, that's his name. Um, 
And um, so it st centers around this androgynous character called Seraphitus, um, or Seraphitus, however you want to pronounce it, um, who appears as a male to some people and a female to others. So um, the, this being was born to parents who had transcended humanity. Um, and according to the author, they had transcended humanity by their devotion to the philosophies of Emanuel Swedenborg. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, but um, So Seraphita, Seraphitus is born as a perfect specimen, neither male nor female, uh, which that's great for Swedenborg, but I just don't feel like um, in the real world being born neither male nor female is what most people would call perfection. I think it, it makes things much more difficult uh, for you. And uh, <laughs> you'd have to read the story. It's it's very interesting, but um, I, I uh, it's a character that I felt kind of sad for. <laughs> um, and goodness, what else? Um, enough about movies. You want to talk about some music? Sure. Yeah, you were talking about you can't do the voice that I originally assigned you to do. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's not near deep enough. Not near deep enough because it was originally the voice I originally wanted him to do uh, was from the Tom Waits album The Black Rider, um, the song 60 Silver Bullets. Um, and so I basically had a dream <laughs> when I fell asleep listening to that album and I saw uh, kind of the first leg of the um, the Creeping Wave journey with Sugar the Sasquatch and everything. I, I kind of saw that all play out in front of me with the hunters and the forest. And I, I just, I wrote it down and I was going to turn it into like an animated series. But then when the opportunity came along for me to uh, turn this into sort of a podcast, I was like, cool, let's do that. So Sugar the Sasquatch, um, Hitler's Brain, um, Old Scratch. There's no Sugar the Sasquatch in that. There's Priscilla the Monkey Girl, but um, she evolved into Sugar. The 60 Silver Bullets, Jojo the Dog Face Boy, they're all from that dream. And I later learned that that album, The Black Rider, was originally written as an opera, uh, The Black Rider and the Casting of the Magic Bullets by William S. Burroughs, uh, with music by Tom Waits and stage direction by Robert Wilson. <laughs> um, it's a retelling of the modern German folktale Du Frischutz, uh, The Free Shooter. It was made into an opera by Carla Maria von Weber. And um, that was kind of a, a cool thing to find out because when I, when I was having that dream, it definitely was a, a whole story. And to find out that it was intended as a story, that uh, was a little little interesting kind mm -hmm. of kind of fun but then at the same time it's like uh yeah you listen to something that was a story and you saw it as a story wow <laughs> um when i goodness first wrote the novels um i i was listening to patrick wolf nonstop, and this is another thing that's kind of weird um, I was specifically listening to the album the bachelor and which has voiceovers by tilda swinton who plays orlando and um, uh, apparently he had asked for Tilda Swinton to be part of it because he had, had the character of The Bachelor uh, and all of it uh, had been influenced by the film Orlando and by her portrayal. So there's also um, just people in my life, like I talked about Robert, um, but there's, uh, I have to say that uh, a lot of the people that I've worked with 
throughout the years. Uh, when when I first started Creeping Wave, it was meant to be as part of a, a group called uh, the Unaffiliated, and uh, at the, it was 2016, and it was the, the time of Kekistan, and uh, everybody was talking about snowflakes and uh, the red pill and all this kind of stuff and fake news. And, um, so the, the approach that uh, I felt the people on the show were taking, they wanted to explore fake news. They wanted to cover the stories nobody else would cover. Um, and that, uh, for me, I wasn't, it's just not me. There's nothing wrong with doing that. There's nothing bad. It's, it's just not me. I, uh, came up with Creeping Wave Radio which is kind of a, a audio drama, sort of a spoof of what if all these conspiracies and paranormal events and things like that are real and are happening. And what if they are with the podcasters who are reporting on them are actually being affected by them being dragged into the story. And Cyrus Salisbury, who is uh, originally part of it, um, he's actually in the first episode, uh, Cyrus the Hacker, who comes in. Um, we were texting back and forth. And we were just talking about different things. But one of the things we're discussing is our love for 80s cinema and uh, how vampires have really been tamped down as far as monsters go. Uh, like uh, you, you take something, you know, <laughs> like from Nosferatu to Twilight, it's, it's, there's a drastic difference. Um, and so I really, that, that made me incorporate the Soviet vampire army into the plot, which is this amalgamation of all 80s antagonists, you know, they're, they're all like either corporate overlords or um, communists, which, you know, it's it, it's odd to be both at the same time, but it happens. Uh, maybe vampires, you got the Lost Boys and, and got, uh, what's another one? Uh, <laughs> someone that Jim Carrey's in, Once Bitten. Um, that, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yeah, Eddie Murphy. Is, Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then, gosh, what what is that one um, that uh, Rene Abrajon is in, where oh. he's he's training that kid to be a vampire? And that's uh, 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 it's a I good one. Seen that one. No, no, you have. I watched it with you. <laughs> but uh, Rene Abrajon is uh, Odo um, from Star Trek. He's he's a, a vampire, and he's training this this kid to become a vampire. And uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty cool little little movie, but, um, he, he kind of inspired that. And the people I was working with, um, also on the unaffiliated, even though it didn't really work out, uh, for us working together, uh, we just had different, uh, goals, different ambitions. Um, I mean, just the, the things that they would talk about or, uh, just their interest, uh, would kind of inspire me to look down a rabbit hole and be like, oh, that's what people believe, is it? Oh, okay, well, that's interesting. That's something that we could definitely use and just kind of exploring different things. Um, one of the conspiracies was actually I had just found out about, not from anybody involved with that show, but uh, the Finland conspiracy, as um, some people don't believe Finland exists, which we talk about in the series. And that's that's odd. <laughs> But uh, the hologram, like the moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, no, it's I, I, they're they're saying that the landmass of Finland does not exist, and that the the people are actually living in the surrounding areas, and that they do have a culture and they have a people, but just that the maps are wrong, and that this landmass was basically invented so that the Japanese could maintain fishing rights over this area, 
and that's why it's called Finn Land, which uh, explore it if you've never heard about this conspiracy theory, because it's, it's a really interesting one to me. And uh, the people who write about it, um, they're, they're fairly well educated. They're, they, they, they're not stupid people. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they make some pretty interesting arguments. Uh, I'm not persuaded, but it's, it is interesting to read. Um, yeah. So we talked about a lot of inspirations, talked about a couple things that are coming up on the new season. Um, you've read some of the scripts. Uh, what's something you think's coming up that's going to be exciting for people? So just a general direction that we're going. A general direction that we're going. Yeah, there's going to be a lot more flashback sequences. We're going to learn a lot more about uh, Napoleon, and you're going to see uh, a lot of the influences that I talked about. Um, you you might see them start to manifest <laughs> in some of these uh, kind of flashback sequences. I, I do know that in one of the flashback sequences. Um, there is a joke that I wrote uh, directed at my mom, and you know the one I'm talking about. So, oh, we we incorporate uh, two actors who my mom cannot stand. Oh, will wow. not, yeah, will, will not watch a movie if these people are in it. Like, absolutely despises them. <laughs> and um, one of them, like I, I asked her, I don't want to reveal who it is. But I asked her about um, why she hates this actor. And <laughs> she said, because he killed Mr. Bill. And I was like, I don't think that was him, Mom. I, I don't think that's the guy who did it. She's like, oh, no, it's him. I can tell that ugly voice. And I was like, okay. But um, she, she uh, so I, I, I wrote a scene that has these two people. And now the, the struggle is finding a, a voice actor who can do a good imitation of these two actors um, because they're probably not going to get them to come on the show. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's uh, a lot in store coming up. Um, as far as the you mind, um, I know that some of you probably read my blog post and um, this year I am also going to give you the weirdness and the wildness of improv and skits, but this year um, I really want to bring attention to people who are making a difference and specifically people who are making a difference in, uh, our vicinity. Uh, we live in Vista, California, which is part of San Diego County. And, uh, there's a lot of amazing people here that, uh, you know, maybe because it's not LA or New York or Chicago or something that you, you maybe haven't heard about them. Um, but there's a lot of people who are just, uh, you know, wonderful, amazing people who are doing so much for the community, who are doing, um, you know, charity work or just uh, bringing smiles to people's faces, <laughs> just putting themselves out there and making a difference. And um, the overarching theme of both Creeping Wave and You Mind that I want to leave you guys with is uh, know thyself. Um, we did an interview that was a little bit different for you mind with uh, Kathleen O'Keefe Canavas, and uh, my my super big teeth sometimes make it difficult <laughs> for me to pronounce words. Um, Kathleen O'Keefe Canavas, um, she is uh, an amazing person. Who um, she's a dream detective. She was able to diagnose her cancer. Um, three times before it was uh, large enough for scans and doctors to detect. But she kept insisting, I know something's wrong with my body. I know what's going on. 
And um, she had enough confidence in herself to where she finally pushed until they gave her the test that she needed. She said, prove me wrong. And they found the cancer and they were able to treat it. And uh, that, to me, whether or not you believe dreams are anything beyond just random firings in your brain when you're sleeping, it really doesn't matter. Um, it's the fact that she knew who she was, she knew what her body was telling her, and she was strong enough to come forward and say, like, no, this, this is what needs to be done. Please listen to me. Please believe me. And so many times in our lives, we are manipulated or coaxed or just shamed into not listening to ourselves and not being true to ourselves. And just that the theme of both shows uh, for the season is going to be know thyself. So <laughs> you, you want to say anything? I don't have anything I want to say. No. But uh, look out for us because we, if you're in the San Diego area, we are out and about a lot of times in costumes. Uh, if you follow the You Mind or Creeping Wave, you'll, you'll see us. Uh, see Old Scratch in his costume. You'll see the first draft. You'll see me um, dressed like me. So, <laughs> and um, yeah, and uh, so we, if you, if you see us and you're, you're out there, just come over and say hi. We're going to be at Comic Fest. We are going to be at Comic Fest. Yeah, you should definitely come say hi to us. What um, is that? Where? Yeah, Comic Fest is March 5th through 8th at the Four Points Sheraton, which is a beautiful hotel. We actually stayed at it when there wasn't Comic Fest going on one mm -hmm. time. And it's it's a really, really nice place. It's really wonderful. And um, we really love it. And uh, it's, it's going to be really just so much fun. Uh, the theme is um, Ray Harryhausen and Ray Bradbury, the uh, anniversary of those those fellas. And Ray Harryhausen, if you don't know, uh, created Dynamation or Dynavision, but I think it's Dynamation. Those little skeletons that fight in the, the Sinbad, Hercules, the, the old epics. That's, that's Jason and the Argonauts. Jason and the Argonauts, yeah. That's him. Um, Clash of the Titans, mm -hmm. the original one. Mm -hmm. Early 80s. Uh, I, like, love Medusa. And any Sinbads. Yeah. Just uh, sin Sinbads are, are great. Um, yeah. I <laughs> just that's that's the kind of stuff that was on on Sundays when I was a kid, and I'd just tune in and watch. And uh, yeah, but they, they're going to be celebrating that. And of course, Ray Bradbury, Fahrenheit 451. So, so, so relevant now, no matter which side of the aisle you're on. It's uh, just really talking about sort of the... Um, I guess homogenization of people's thought and allowing people to just kind of become numb to what's going on around them and uh, just being placated. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, just really, really um, going to be an amazing show, going to be really fun. Um, well, we hope to see you there. Um, stop by the table. Uh, if you like Lost Bread, if you like uh, creeping wave if you like the you mind if you just want to experience scratch in person if, if you want to see how big my teeth really are so <laughs> just come by and say hello yeah yes you can get a picture with us or something like that okay guys so i hope that this has been informative or something 
It, uh, we, we might be doing these update episodes on the regular, so tell us what you think. Um, what do you think? Just provide us some more questions. Yeah. Do you think that uh, we should do it as like a live chat next time? Something so that people can like ask us questions in the... Never done one. No, neither have I, um, because I, I tend to say such terrible things. <laughs> And um, I, I'm, I'm just terrified that I would, like, get in there. Why? Because you're a bit of an old sailor? I am a bit of an old sailor. So, yeah, I've, I, uh, someone had once commented that I never cuss. And um, that that is not true. But I, I watch it very carefully, and I'm very conscious of when I do use those words, um, mainly because I have so many nieces and nephews. And um, when you let it slip... That is the word that they fixate on. Yes. <laughs> I just, I think one time I said like, oh, these are my sexy shoes. And my niece is like, what's sexy? And I'm like, uh, I said sassy. These are my sassy shoes. <laughs> but, Good recovery. Yeah. But, um, yeah, okay, guys. Um, so thank you so much. Let us know um, how you'd like us to do our updates in the future. Should they be shorter? Should they be longer? Should we do like a live chat? Do you want to be able to see us when we do that? I don't, I don't want that, that I have to get a ring light if we do that. And I have to like get like a hair and makeup crew so that I can look like amazing. And I mean, somewhere that's besides our apartment. Yes. Yeah, so probably film somewhere other than our apartment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, we don't want to show off our mess. Mm, yeah, and it's it's pretty exciting in here. Okay, guys, thank you so much, and I hope we answered some of your questions. And if not, send us more, and we'll do, if we get enough, we'll do another update episode. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Well, that was the update episode. What'd you think? Special thanks to our legendary announcer, Savage C. Walnar. Savage, you're doing wonderful. Thank you so much. And the You Mind theme, Demilitarized Zone, is by Ethan Mexel. Great job, Ethan, as always. And guess what else? You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash lucidnap. Yes, you can. Or you can go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash lucidnap for small, one-time donations. And that helps us out a whole bunch, too. <laughs> okay, guys, you heard us talking about Lost Bread Comic. Well... That's the comic book that I write, so go to lostbreadcomic.com and check it out. Or you can just follow us on all of our social media, and that is in the description box below. There's a whole lot of social media links, and uh, you should probably click on each and every one. But you know what? Thanks for watching, because we really depend on you, and special thanks to The Gramerica Show, Nikki Benfield, and Neil, who are our amazing Patreons, and we could not do it without you guys. You're incredible. And thank you so much. The You Mind is brought to you by Lucid Nat Productions in cooperation with a hairy old man. Thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs>